0: turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30, beginning at verse 34. And in Exodus 30, we see the ingredients of the holy anointing oil, and then this incense, the ingredients for incense. And I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of going deep in worship from this setting in Exodus chapter 30, beginning at verse 34, New King James Version. And the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, Stacte, and Annika, Galbanum, and pure frankincense. With these three sweet spices there shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer or the apothecary, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and Put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, or I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. Don't copy it. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. So let's talk about going deep in worship. If you've been standing at home, you can be seated, if you've been reading the Bible, let's study it together. What exactly is worship? The English word for worship comes from the words worth and ship and in our English language that is not really foreign to the biblical meaning, It is the object of our worship that must be worthy of our worship. So the one to whom we give worship must deserve the praise and worship that we give. Worship is a Bible word. A number of Hebrew words in the Old Testament are used as our word for worship or praise. Bowing down or falling down prostrate before the Lord. Worship can be serving. Jesus said you shall worship the Lord thy God and him only shall you serve. So worship uh, extends beyond praise or an exact form or moment of worship to our entire lives. Worship can be an expression of sacrificial worship, praise, saying something to the Lord, a demonstration of praise to him. There's a number of Hebrew words uh, that really demonstrate this and I'll try to work my way quickly through them not an expert in pronouncing ancient Hebrew words Shabbat means to shout praise it expresses confidence in God's ability Barak means to kneel or to bless the Lord it expresses humility in worship Yadah means to extend the hands it expresses gratitude thanksgiving that we'll celebrate next month and surrender to God Talda means a raised hand, an expression of adoration toward God. And takah, to clap, to applaud. It expresses joy and victory and praise. You might be familiar with the word halal. It is to celebrate extravagantly. It is a root word from which the word hallelujah comes. And it expresses praise to Jah or to Almighty God, to Jehovah. Hallelujah is an expression of joy, jubilation, and celebration. Tehillah is singing scripture to instruct and encourage. Tefillah is prayer sung as intercession and petition. Karah is to dance, David danced before the Lord with all his might. And Zamar is in Psalm 4, 6 And seven is to make music by striking the fingers on strings or parts of a musical instrument. We play instruments to facilitate a holy atmosphere in the presence of God. Now, through the years here, I've uh, given a definition of worship that I learned in Bible college that, to me, seems to sum up what worship really should encompass, that worship is the total response of man to God. In Deuteronomy 6, that great commandment, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then it tells us how we should respond to the oneness of God, that there are no other gods beside Him. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. In other words, while worship may be demonstrated in praise, worship is bigger than just a moment of praise. That worship is really the total response of our entire being to the greatness and singularity of Almighty God. But I've learned this. If you can't praise, you certainly don't worship as a lifestyle with your whole being. Worship is the expression of affection that we give to the object of our greatest affection. Whatever you love the most is what you worship, and it is also what you serve. Our worship can be observed in the way we spend our lives. We talk often about the stewardship of our time, talent, and treasure in our local church, because that is what God has given us that we can return to him. It defines really much of our life, our time, our talents or giftings, and our financial resources. Now, what is the origin of worship? Worship originated in heaven, and in heaven, worship is perpetual. We see a glimpse of this in Isaiah chapter 6 in the year that King Uzziah died, that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train of victory filled the temple. There were angels, six-winged angels that flew around the throne of God and they cried out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. In Revelation, we see worship again. Chapter 4, verse 8. These four beasts with six wings, they appear to be the same angelic beings. We are pulling back the curtain of heaven and we are seeing what's going on there in that place of holy fullness. They rest not day and night. They perpetually worship Almighty God. And they have a specific word of worship. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. God predates time He extends beyond time. He is an eternal God who is everlasting. And the Bible said from everlasting to everlasting. Satan coveted the worship that God alone deserved. His statements in Isaiah chapter 14, known as his five I wills, demonstrate what he wanted to steal from God. Now let me just pause right here to say, That Satan's motive, Satan's agenda, from the beginning of his insurrection against God, his his rebellion when iniquity was found in his heart, his agenda has been to take from God what duly belongs to him. And the greatest way that he can injure the heart of God is by stealing worship that free moral agents that human beings have. Now in the beginning it seems according to the Bible that a third of the angelic host defected with Satan. He said, he's Lucifer, son of the morning. He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. But God says to him, yet Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the size of the pit. And he said in that day they'll look on you and said, Is this the man that troubled the nations that caused kingdoms to tremble? You little scrawny devil you. That's the implication of that. And in the beginning though, somewhere perhaps before time, Satan saw the glory of God. God had given him glory. He was the covering cherub. He was a beautiful being. But iniquity was found in his heart, and his self-will caused him to fall. Jesus said, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. In the temptation of Jesus Christ, Satan said to Jesus in Matthew 4 and 8, The devil again taketh him up to an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now he set him up. He thought he did. Turn these stones to bread. Leap off the pinnacle of the temple. But now he just blatantly says what he wanted all along. If you will fall down and worship me, I'm the prince and the power of the air. I have a realm that I can give. If you will worship me, I will give you all of this. And Jesus said, Get thee hence Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. It's important for us to see the connection between worship and service. You worship God only and serve God only. When I read this today as I was preparing for this message, I literally shuddered. It kind of surprised me when I saw what Satan said to Jesus in the days of his flesh. I will give you this if you will give me worship because ultimately it is what God alone deserves and what Satan covets and craves that belongs to God. It made me think that we should all think very carefully about anyone or anything that would tempt us to fall down and worship them or it. To fall down, Satan said, if you will fall down and worship me. Falling down is an act of worship to prostrate yourself before the Lord. Falling down is an act of submission, of reverence to someone that is superior. That's what we do to God. We worship the Lord. Satan had something to offer Jesus, and he will always have something to offer you. You've heard stories of people who allegedly sold their soul to the devil for talent, for money, for fame and fortune, for success, or whatever he may be offering them. He may not offer you the kingdoms of the world, but rest assured he is always offering you something in exchange for your allegiance to him and what really boils down to worship. Satan saw that temptation as an opportunity to steal what he desperately wanted to steal from God, as I said, perhaps before time began. Satan wants your worship. And if it is not directly to him, you don't have to become a Satan worshiper. No, we're coming up on the eve of all things evil and We kind of are careful what we do with Halloween. Uh, It's not really the holiday for Jesus. And I don't want to get off on that. But you may not be a devil worshiper. But what if you worship what the devil has offered? What if you worship something besides the Lord Jesus Christ? So to whom are you bowing? What are you serving? What is the object of your deepest affection? Whatever you worship, you will also serve. And God alone, of course, is to be the only object of our worship and most sincere affection. We saw in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4 that in heaven angels perpetually worship God. Adam and Eve were introduced to fellowship to God. Abel offered a more sacrifice to God. Abraham built altars and walked with God as a friend. Under the Mosaic law, that Old Testament church The nation of Israel had prescribed forms of worship. But even in that, the Lord was looking for hearts and total beings that would respond to Him. It was never about superficiality in worshiping the Lord. All the offerings of worship, those free offerings that were to be given to God were to be done by the will of those who wanted to give God their very best. Amen. In the Old Testament and New Worship was always to come from our hearts, always to be expressed outwardly through words, through actions, through through physical demonstration of worship to God. The Lord is looking for true worshipers. Now, to gain an insight into the nature of worship, I'd like to examine this recipe for incense that we read about in Exodus chapter 30. And as I mentioned in Exodus 30... There's that uh, recipe for the holy anointing oil. And I've taught and preached about it through the years here when I teach a message on unity that I believe is really bound up in the ingredients of the holy anointing oil. And then after the Lord introduces that in Exodus 30, He begins to talk about the ingredients of incense. So we're going to review this. I'll make some observations and applications hopefully tonight. The Lord told Moses, take sweet spices, and he names them. stacte, onica, Galbanum, pure frankincense, equal parts of each, and make of these an incense. Now, when I first was studying the holy anointing oil, I was not thinking about what the apothecary does. He may take a certain volume, mix it with oil, kind of reduce it, boil it down, and then mix it together artfully to, to produce this perfume. And you see this here, that it will be according to the art of the apothecary or the perfumer, <clears throat> excuse me, the New King James says, it will be salted, pure, and holy. The first ingredient is stacte, And it literally means drops. This gum, this resin, literally freely oozed out of the plant. It would drip or ooze. And it would be taken and. Quantities to make perfume or incense. Now, there's an application of what stack day should be. That worship should be free will. It should not be coerced. You shouldn't have to have the worship team pull worship out of you. It should come out of you freely just as this particular spice was producing something that would be added to worship to Almighty God. Stacte speaks of spontaneous worship. The next ingredient is onica, and I'll talk about this a couple of times tonight. It was derived from the shell of a mollusk that was found in the Mediterranean and Red Seas. It yielded a musky odor when it was burned. Now it was obtained, one dictionary I read about said, from the operculum, or a closing muscle of a mollusk. So the, the muscle that would cause the mollusk to open and close, that was taken, and perhaps that's where uh, this onica was derived from. But nonetheless, it should be noted that this came from the deep. It came from the ocean. The next ingredient is galbanum, a resinous gum. Uh, was a milky sap that came from the roots of a, a plant that would be like a fennel or a carrot to us. Found in Syria, Persia, even Afghanistan. It had a distinct odor. And by itself, it was rather unpleasant when the resin was burned. Nevertheless, it was used in this sweet incense, the Bible says. Some commentators think it improved the combustion Of the incense. It was used in Old Testament times. For medicinal purposes. And other uses as well. By itself. It would have been too potent. But put together with these other spices. It was part of a beautiful. Incense to the Lord. By application. Worship should have a combustible. Nature to it. It should be exciting. Powerful. Exhilarating. Worship should not be dead. Dry, dull, boring. It shouldn't just be liturgy that is from the lips. It should be worship that comes from the heart. Amen. We need some combustible galbanum in worship at Atlanta West. Something that sparks worship to God. But worship has to be balanced with depth and also sacrifice. The fourth ingredient is frankincense. Now, the word itself means white. And it is a pale-colored, milky sap that is extracted from the bark of a boswellia tree that grows in southern Arabia and India. And you know, we kind of have to do our best research of what these plants really were. Uh, it matters, but it doesn't exactly matter for us to understand the purpose of them And so I try to do the best research and even Bible commentaries just give some alternatives of what it could be. But frankincense was a highly fragrant substance. It was prized for its perfuming agents or nature. It was bitter to the taste, but had a pleasant aroma. It was obtained by scraping the bark of a tree and once that injury was made to the tree, then the frankincense would begin to ooze out so it could be collected and used in incense. It was dried, collected, crushed, and when it was crushed, it turned to that white powder that was indicative of purity. Frankincense is so was and is so expensive that the wise men made it a part of their extravagant gifts to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And our worship should have the characteristic of frankincense. It should be the sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips giving thanks. Sacrifice should cost us something. Back in the days when I played some sports, the coach would say you should leave everything on the field. In other words when you go out there to play, you should give it your very best and when you leave, you should be exhausted. I think that would be a good rule for church that when you come, it shouldn't just be the worship team or the minister who's preaching that day who leaves it all on the field or all on the court, but we've all come to worship God in spirit and in truth and our worship should cost us something. Now, the Bible is very clear that we should offer God our best. And I want to just give you some other scriptures here that are very important. Leviticus twenty-two, twenty-four. 24. They were instructed that you cannot offer to God a sacrifice that was bruised, crushed, broken, or cut. God deserved better than that. In Malachi, the Lord asked Israel why don't you go offer a blind sacrifice or one that is lame and sick to your governor, to your political leader and see if he will accept it. And the Lord said, are you offering that to me? You're giving me something less than you would give a human being? Amen? We should never give anything that doesn't cost us something. When David numbered the people and there was a plague in the land and Aaron offered to David Anything he wanted to offer a sacrifice to God. Second Samuel 24, 24. And the king said to Arana, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee for a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which cost me nothing. Every Israelite knew that when you came to give praise and worship to God, when you bought a sacrifice that it was to cost you something, that you left something behind that was an expression of your love, worship, and sacrifice to Almighty God. So frankincense is that element of worship that is costly and exacts our very best. Now this incense was taken after the order of the apothecary, put together with salt, it was very holy, it was to be pure, and then it had to burn. So where did you get the fire? They were instructed to go to the brazen altar. That's where the animal was sacrificed. To us, that is a place of repentance, of death to sin and self-will. And so this incense was taken and put in this censer, Or on this particular place that would be an altar of incense. I'll get to that in a moment. And it was put at a place where it would burn before the Lord. Now for many years you may have heard me say this. If you've been around for years. That our worship to God should be ignited from a coal of the brazen altar. But really is disgusting. It's worship of words of worship. Words of praise. that come out of the lips of a person. That is really not living for God. That is not living a repentant life. I want you to worship God. That's what I'm talking about tonight. Going deep in worship. But worship should come out of an altar of right relationship with God. Before I stand here. Or anyone stands here to worship. Or to play an instrument or serve in ministry, or walk in the doors, or really walk out the door for work any day. you should cleanse your heart before God, because true worship must be ignited from a right relationship with God a coal, from the brazen altar. Very, very important. The Lord said that this is to be salted. Exodus 30:34. 30, Take these spices. I won't reread that. Go to verse 35. Make of these an incense. A compound according to the art of the perfumer. Salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine. Put some of it before the testimony or the Ark of the Covenant. In the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Now there's quite a bit of interesting information about salt. Salt might have also added to the combustion by adding sodium chloride. Perhaps it was a preserving influence in that instance since great portions were made and they may have been kept for a while. Salt may have done that. Salt may have been symbolic. It was part of meals. There was a salt covenant. It could seal an agreement between parties. But nonetheless, this holy incense had to have salt. Now, when the priest... Entered into the holy place, this is what he saw. On his left hand was a golden candlestick. On the right hand was a table of shoe bread. In front of him there was a veil, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And just before the veil was this altar of incense. It was there that this precious perfume that we've been describing was burning before the Lord a worship that would enter into the presence of Almighty God. Inside there was that that Ark of the Covenant, covered by the mercy seat, two cherubim looking down into the mercy seat. Blood was offered everywhere, but finally there on the mercy seat. And it was there that the Lord said, I will meet you there. I will meet you at the finality of, of the blood offering, the brazen altar, the laver of water, all throughout the holy place, and into the most holy place, it was that, that altar of incense, with this beautiful, fragrant incense, that ushered a person, that high priest, into the presence, of almighty God, quite a picture, of worship, of coming into, the presence of the Lord, and I love what, Moses said, speaking of this, the Lord said to Moses, or I will meet you. Because of his proximity to the holiest place, this was in the very words that I read. The Lord didn't just say it will be holy. He said it is to be most holy. The words are significant about what it represents. Verses 37 and 38. But as for the incense which you shall make... You shall not make any for yourselves. So when the priests are making this, they don't say, I'm going to bring a little jar from home, add a little bit to burn at the house, or at the office, or at school, or when I'm involved in recreation, hobbies, sports, and pastimes. He said, according to its composition, it shall be to you holy for the Lord. Worship. Belongs to God alone. And whoever makes any like to it. The Lord said. To smell it in your own. Outside of a sacred environment of worship. He shall be cut off. That means killed. From his people. Now. In the same way that this holy anointing oil. Was reserved for God alone. Earlier in Exodus 30. In the same way that this incense was reserved for God alone, Israel was forbidden to copy this recipe at home or any other place as I've already mentioned. We should pause and we should think about this. Kind of like the word selah in a psalm. Let me stop and think about this. Am I, Daryl Johns, are you, offering something that only should belong to God to anyone or anything else. Am I giving something that is sacred. That is to be set apart for holy use. Am I giving my very best. To something other than God himself. You see Jesus Christ. Deserves our total worship. The total response of man to God. So I should ask myself. Do I have any idols in my life the first two commandments in Exodus 20 when God gives us the ten commandments go like this Exodus 20 and 1 and God spake all these words saying I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage pause to say he's our savior and because he is our savior he owns us now we live in America the land of the free and the home of the brave but we are servants of God he purchased us, right? We are not our own. We are bought with a price. And Old Testament Israel was delivered out of Egypt. We were delivered out of sin. And the Lord said in verse 3 of Exodus 20, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Nothing will be ahead of me. And then in verse 4, thou shalt, shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. You're not to make a star, a moon, a sun, an animal, something that you worship that displaces God's place in your life. The Lord said, You shall not bow down to them, don't serve them. I'm a jealous God. I will visit the iniquity upon of the fathers, upon the children, unto the fourth generation. And then he said, I will show kindness. But I want you to see that these are commandments that we not put anything ahead of our worship to God. I want to repeat what Jesus said to Satan in Matthew 4 and 10. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So I want you to see again the correlation between worship and service, that whatever you really worship, whatever holds your heart, also holds your life. Whatever you worship, you will serve. Now in the month of October, we've been talking about going deep. Um, October 7th, the deep things of God. October 11th, going deep from Job twenty-eight. You've got to mine the riches of wisdom of God. Wednesday the 14th, Going Deep in the Word. This past Wednesday we had missions conference and Brother Mark Blackburn did a tremendous job. We learned that God wants us to go deep so we can go wide. That's been the theme of every message or lesson that I have preached and taught. What does going deep in worship really mean? You see, nothing is accidental or incidental in the Bible. And I'm intrigued and fascinated by the ingredients of this incense that God made. <clears throat> that stacte to flow freely. That galbanum to be exciting. That frankincense to be costly and sacrificial. But all of these three ingredients come from a plant or a tree. They all come from above the ground. You go out in the field, in the woods, in a grove... A, and you get those ingredients. All of these are harvested in similar fashion. And they appear similar. And they're all part of this. But Annika is so different. If you think about it. It is really amazing that God said. There is a component of worship that I want you to know. I want you to understand that worship is. It's not just to be sacrificial, it's not just to be exciting, it's not just to be flowing freely, but worship should be deep. Worship should come from something deep, deep down in us. For this component of worship is not found on the land, it is found in the sea. God in His infinite wisdom would tell us that this is a nature of our worship. In Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord rebuked his people because of their superficial worship. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. God said, in essence, I am sick of superficial worship. I'm sick of what going through the motions of it just coming out of you because you've done this so long but you've left your first love. It doesn't really come from your heart. Jesus quoted this verse from Isaiah in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. He said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying these people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their heart... Is far from me. And in vain they worship me. They just worship me. It doesn't matter. Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. If you have the gift of the Holy Ghost, you know when you have touched God in worship and not just going through the motions. You know when you're just singing along or watching, being a spectator, or you know, you know, and I know when I've really engaged in worship. The apostle Paul said in Philippians 3:3 3, 3, that we're the true circumcision who worship God in the spirit. To the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus said in John 23 John 4:23, John chapter 4 verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We need to go deep in worship, personally and corporately. Now I'm fully aware and I've thought about this. I know you're at home. You're not here. We're going to play a song in a few moments that I would encourage you to engage in worship during that song. I've asked all of our team here tonight to engage in worship just like we were in the privacy of our home or we are gathered here to worship the Lord. I read a story about Azusa Street when one participant said, I feel the presence of the Holy Ghost not only in my heart but in my lungs, my hands, my arms and through my body. Doesn't that sound like your whole being, as the Lord expects and demands. My personal experiences in deep moments of worship, I reflected on them today. There's so many I couldn't name them all. I was in Houston, Texas, for a summer. There was a powerful worship. This was in my Bible college days. In the middle of preaching, in altar, I was standing on the front row. Suddenly, without thinking about it, I, I found myself bowing to my knees. And then I felt a little self-conscious and I peeked to the left and right. And everybody on that row was on their knees in worship to God. It was so deep and powerful I felt like the only thing that I could do was reverence God like that. Back in the early 1980s I was teaching a class in Bible college on the book of Acts. We'd had a tremendous worship service on Sunday night. Powerful preaching. There were young people at the church till very late in the night worshiping, running up and down the halls of the church and worship to God. And I just simply said, let's thank God for what He did last night. And when I did, in that classroom, Building 5, Jackson College of Ministries, 1555 Beasley Road, the Holy Ghost fell in that place. Worship broke out of that classroom onto the sidewalks and into the grass. People were slain in the spirit. It was nothing that I did, I assure you. The cooks from the cafeteria were over there worshiping God. People that came on campus, they heard about this. Late into the night, it lasted. Speaking in tongues, slain in the spirit, worshiping God. You know and I know when it is deep, and I invite you, I invite you as a church, let's go deeper in worship. Let's pray right now. I thank you, Lord, for giving us the ingredients of worship. And I pray, oh God, that you would let our worship be flea frowing let it flow free like staket. Let our worship be powerful like galbanum. Let our worship be costly like frankincense. Let our worship be deep like onykins. Let us worship you in this spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Now would you engage in this song in worship to the Lord.